Good evening. How is everybody? Great. Great. I heard a great and good and a thumbs up. Okay, that means we're doing better than I've been in some ways. All right, so everybody had a great day today. You ready for some snow this weekend? No. Let's, we're going to pray here a little bit. That's what I heard. Maybe it's just my kids making stuff up. They lie all the time. They take after me. Oh, yeah. So it's going to say Anita, but that's not good. Uh, all right, let's do announcements and pray and get started. Y'all good with that? Yep. All right, so announcements. So we have a uh, women's prayer meeting this year, the fourth Saturday. I think it was last Saturday. So if you ever, uh, again, the fourth Saturday, wherever that is, and however many Saturdays that is from now, uh, from 9 to 10, they meet in the sanctuary. Men's Bible study is the second, fourth Saturday. We meet in this room, and that's this upcoming Saturday, I believe. Sounds good. Uh, the book we're studying is It's Good to Be a Man. So, and it is good to be a man. Some days. Uh, no, all days. And then Wednesday night, we actually <clears throat> have a meal here from 530 to 645 here. I don't remember what it was. And I was pretty good. Whatever I did, I was eating pretty quick. But it's uh, pretty expensive. I think it's two bucks, and you can come in and eat and fellowship before we get started. All right, let's pray, and let's get rolling. Y'all ready? All right, Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you so much for your many, many blessings, God. There's days I'm just uh, so astounded, God, that you would uh, have patience for someone like me. God, I'm so thankful for all the folks that are here tonight, God. I pray that whatever they've been through today, God, all the hassles and all the running around and all the troubles and the triumphs and whatever they've had today, God, I pray that we just take a deep breath. God, we let it out, and God, we want to hear from you tonight, God. I pray, God, that you would speak, that you'd speak boldly, that you'd speak clearly, and you'd speak into every situation, God, that we face in life. God, for the marriages that are here, God, I just want to encourage each one of them, Lord. I pray that no matter what they've been through, how long they've been together, whatever all those situations are that are behind them, God, I pray that we'd lock arms, they'd look forward to what you're going to do, Lord, through their marriage, through their life, and especially through our church, through our community, or through our country. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that they would look forward to what you have in store for them. As we study tonight, Lord, we're talking about isolation. And God, as I study this, it really hit me hard. God, I'm so tempted to go and hide. I'm so tempted to be away from things, God. I pray that tonight, God, we wouldn't isolate ourselves in the time in our small group time. We wouldn't isolate ourselves, God, in our study time here tonight, God, but we would be open and welcoming to your spirit, God, to hear from you on high tonight. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so recap. We talked about God's design. I'm going to say this for however many weeks we do this. I just want to make sure you all understand it. I'm going to recap every week, and I'm going to go through all of us. We're in week number four. So, wow, four weeks into it. The first week we talked about God's purpose and plan. God designed marriage from the beginning. And it's not about who? It's not about you. It's about God, right? The ultimate purpose of marriage is to reflect God's image. Marriage is what kind of a relationship? It's a covenant. Thank you. You can speak a little bit more boldly over there now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Marriage is a covenant relationship, which means it's not just between me and my wife. It's between what? Me and my wife and the Lord, right? And we looked at Genesis. We went through that, talked all about how marriage started, right? Week number two, we talked about the gospel in your marriage. Why is that so important? Just stop right here. Why is the gospel in your marriage one of the most important things you can have? If we're supposed to be a reflection of God, what's the ultimate purpose? If we're not, if the gospel's not involved, how can we even be an image or, you know, shine his light at all? We can't, right? And we talked about being reconciled to God. And that talked about forgiveness as well, which I think is something we could probably stay on for a while. And that marriage is not the primary source of joy. It's never meant to be. If you're looking for marriage and fulfillment completely in your spouse, you're looking the wrong direction. 
Week number three, we talked about your marriage as a mission. From the gospel, we don't stay there. What do we do? We're supposed to go and do something, right? We have a mission. It's supposed to be intentional in nature. How many of y'all been intentional in the last week? How many of y'all got up this morning and went to work? That's intentional, right? You, you, know, you got up and did certain things. Sometimes it's not even that you think about doing it, you just do it. Have y'all ever had that in your life before? Where you get up and you do something and you get over here and you're like, how did I get here, right? You just, it's such an ingrained, but we don't want to be like that. We don't want to go through the motions. We want to be intentional. That's what we talked about last week, being intentional and living on mission. Uh, and again, tonight, what I want to talk to you tonight is about isolation and how to overcome isolation. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to get down to Genesis 3, honey, here in a minute, but we'll go through a couple of things before we get to that, right? Uh, we must never be naive enough to think of marriage as a safe harbor from the fall. The deepest struggles of life will occur in the most primary relationship affected by the fall, which is marriage. Some key takeaways from tonight. Couples will naturally drift towards isolation. You know why? Because we as individuals will naturally drift towards isolation. Our differences and our weaknesses can push us apart. Sin has affected a couple of marriages. Sin's affected Every marriage, right? The only thing that affects that can uh, do that is the gospel. The gospel brings healing and reconciliation. And couples must learn to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit in marriage. One of the main reasons couples drift is they don't prioritize their marriage as they ought, the way they ought to. In fact, you know, for you, when you have children, most of the time the children become the primary focus of the marriage. For the man, oftentimes his job becomes the primary focus of his marriage. If we're not careful... The church might be the primary focus of your marriage. All those are wrong. No. You need to make sure that you're focused completely on the person that God has put you with, right? That's the number one relationship you have apart from your relationship with God, right? Amen? Yes. Amen. Okay. I got a yes and a one. Okay, there we go. Culturally, we're conditioned to think that happiness, happiness is the number one priority in life. Do you all agree with that? No. Man, it's rough. In the culture, we're encouraged to get whatever you can right now. So what are we? That turns and turns us into what? Selfish people who only look out for us. And when we're selfish, guess what we tend to do? Isolate ourselves because selfishness is all about me, not about others. Researcher John Gottman called the four behaviors he discovered uh, while interviewing thousands of couples the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Those behaviors are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and withdrawal. And if you'll notice something, those go sort of on a plane there, right? You don't start off with withdrawal first. Most of the time, you have a critical nature. Somebody's not putting the toilet paper the right direction. Somebody's not doing something a certain way. And guess what happens? It leads to something else if you don't deal with it there. It just continues to go. So do you have a critical spirit towards your spouse? Sometimes it's not that you're verbalizing it. It's that one that's in here. Y'all ever have that? Probably not. None of y'all do. I have that sometimes, right? And I'm married to a wonderful woman, but I have a critical sometimes. Like, why can't she do We've been married 28 years. You figured, she figured it out by now, right? And I say it like that sometimes, too. Y'all know if you do that. Y'all do that. Right? And if I'm not careful, that criticism, criticism will lead me to have contempt for her. It'll lead me to actually take her down a notch because I, she hasn't did something that I expect. And oftentimes, I've never communicated. And from there, if you're confronted, we get what? We get defensive about it. it it's all right. It's, it's not a big deal. <clears throat> and then we tend to do what once we get defensive? We go over here and hide. Well, nobody, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. 
Nobody knows my sorrow, right? That's the problem we have. And when we isolate ourselves, who comes along? Satan. Satan. He is waiting really. In fact, he's putting those seeds there so you're going to reap a harvest if we're not careful. So, one last quote, we're going to get to the scripture. Dr. Philip Zimbardo said this, The devil's strategy for our times is to trivialize human existence. Trivialize human existence. Man, if we don't, that's the world we're living in. And when we do that, we isolate us from one another while creating the delusion, delusion, that the reasons are time pressures, work demands, our economic anxieties. We live in a time where people are more connected than ever, and they don't know anybody they're connected to, really. Just the sad facts of where we're at today. We have lots of friends, but nobody we really are intimate with and share our hearts with. What a sad, sad condition is. And that's ripe for us to be isolated. So let's get to the scriptures. Y'all ready for that tonight? I really, I really am ready for that. Genesis 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 24, honey.
and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Thank you, honey. So in Genesis, what had happened at the end of chapter 2? God said it was he was resting and it was what? Good. It was not just good. It was, Very good. It was real good, right? So it's sometime between then and now what's happened. Satan has fallen, right? Do we know exactly when? No. I think it was interesting. We were talking about, you know, the other day, angels and men about the crown of creation. Maybe that's what Satan got all upset about, right? Somebody was a little higher than him. Don't know. We're not sure. Satan had rebelled sometime after God said the creation was good. Maybe he was jealous. We're not really sure. If you want further reading, a couple places for you. Ezekiel 28, 11 through 15 gives a real great description there. Isaiah 14, 13 through 14. And then 1 John 3, 8. All those reference in some ways the fall. That's not really the 100% what we want to get to, so I'm not going to chase all through the scriptures tonight. Notice he's described as being cunning or deceitful. Somebody who's cunning and deceitful. That's the main way he is described here. Also notice, who does he go after? The weaker vessel, away from her protector. Adam and Eve were sinless, correct? Amen. But could they be tempted and seduced by sin? Absolutely. (laughs) Obviously it happened, right? That's where we're at today. Uh, Eve, when she is questioned by by the serpent, does she give a completely wrong answer? No, it was pretty close. Wasn't exactly what God had said. And if we're not careful, is that not the problem we have today? We get pretty close, but not exactly what God says. Well, you know what uh, pretty close gets you? And uh, I think in, what is it? Hand grenades and horseshoes, it might get you somewhere. But in the rest of life, it don't really get you there. Uh, So, you know, when she talked about not being able to touch it, maybe Adam told her, hey, I just want you, I so don't want you to touch this or get around it. Don't even get near it. He maybe, maybe he didn't tell her exactly what God said. We don't really know, right? We're not 100% sure. Or she could have added it based on how he questioned her. Regardless, the command wasn't followed, and what happens? Sin enters in. Satan in the scriptures is always called a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And in these verses, we see why. He lied, and then what happened? Was there death? Spiritual death. Separation from God, right? Satan's lie led to a spiritual separation from God, which led all men be, uh, to be born into sin. Satan's lies always promise great benefits, but they never deliver. He always overpromises and underdelivers because guess what? He's not God. But he wants to be God, and he often poses as God. We must be sure to understand and look at the ways he works and how it's going to affect us. Because all the ways he works here, guess what he's doing today? The same things. Let's look at how he works here. Note the three ways sin is described. It's good, 
It's pleasant and it's desirable. It's good. It's pleasant. It's desirable. What's wrong with any of those three things around us that's good, pleasant, and desirable? Do y'all have issues with things out there in the world today that are good and pleasant and desirable? No? Okay, awesome. We all have that. Why? We think it's better than it is, right? So let's look at the good, right? So he says right here, it's good for food. That appealed to what kind of appetite? Your physical appetite. How many of y'all have a physical appetite? Thank you, Randy. I appreciate one of you uh, coming there. What's some decisions we can make that are wrong when we uh, have problems with our physical appetite? I can tell you this from Anita. Don't ever come to me with a decision to be made if I'm hungry. Because <laughs> I make bad decisions. Because, you know, I've got, I've got about one thing that I can think of. And that's not whatever you're talking about most of the time, right? So, is physical appetite a, n- a natural thing? Yes. Yes. Right. Amen. It is. What's the problem with our physical appetite? Sometimes it's not controllable at all, right? Sometimes it can lead us to the point where maybe we shouldn't be doing the things we should be doing with the food, right? The problem with it was the direct, directly against what God had said. Don't eat that. Have we got anything in the scriptures we've been told not to eat? Too much. Okay. <laughs> Did you point directly at my belly sitting <laughs> I seen that. You didn't do that. You, you, I seen it, right? So tell us about. Okay, yeah, you got to point higher, right? Uh, gluttony. We have issues. Do we have issues in America with food? Yes. Yes. You ever see some cool things on on video? I seen the thing where they went and did the portion sizes in the '60s, the '70s, the '80s, and today. It's insane what's going on. So we ain't here to talk about physical things. We're talking about the fact that she didn't obey what God had said. Amen. So the next thing it talked about was that it was pleasant to the eyes. There is the emotional appetite. We see things and they appeal to us, and then we have a desire to maybe want that. And that could be what? Covetousness, right? We look, we see, and we want, and then all of a sudden we move into this covet issue. Do y'all have coveting problems? All of us do. Let's go ahead and be honest up here tonight, right? We're not trying to be isolated. We all have coveting problems. And guess what we often say? We want to get that mine, right? That's mine. That belongs to me. What on this earth really belongs to you? Nothing, right? Not plus naught equals naught, right? We ain't got nothing. All of it belongs to God. The problem we have with that emotional appetite, we look, we see, we desire, and then we get a hold of it. And that's the problem we have. The last thing here, it says it was desirable, which appealed to the intellectual appetite. Desiring knowledge outside of the word of God and wanting to be like God. Do we have problems with that today? There's a whole thing now, this podcast movement. It's amazing how many people have podcasts. I did a thing the other day, I think it was on, is it called? Spotify is the name of it. Did I get that right? Make sure I said it right. I could have said it wrong. Uh, And it showed all the people that have a podcast now, and it went through some of their names, and I'm like, somebody's really listening to that person? I mean, it's like everybody's got this. So a lot of us are seeking knowledge. We're seeking things, and we're seeking them from where? What the world has to say. What the culture has to say. A couple of years ago, it was talk shows, right? Everybody watched Oprah and Dr. Phil, and I don't even know if they're still around or not. All of them kind of people. We want to hear what they had to say about humans. Does it really matter? No. Who should we want to hear from? God. And the only way we're going to get that is from the Word of God, right? So, notice in these verses that Eve did not overtly rebel against God like Satan had done. Right? Satan said, I want to be on the throne. 
Eve didn't do that. She was deceived. The words were twisted, right? She just deceived into making her believe this was the right choice. Hey, this is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Even though God had told Adam it's a bad thing. Don't touch it. Actually, don't eat it, right? Most of the time, the pattern we see here is if we don't guard our hearts and minds through the word of God, we're going to be deceived. The only protection we really have here is knowing what this says. Now, if you only get this from Pastor Chris or from a class, how much protection are you going to have? Not much. much. It's going to be more like a, uh, a mesh instead of an actual guard, right? We need to make sure that we're going into the scriptures on a regular basis. Let's delve real quick like into uh, marriage. I know uh, we haven't talked all that directly about marriage. A lot of it's about things we need to know in our marriage. But what's one of the best things you can do as a husband in your relationship as far as the Word of God goes? You should read it for yourself, and then what should you do with it? Share it with your family. You should share it with your family. Uh, some of the roles of Christ is he's the prophet, priest, and the king, right? Who should have those roles in the relationship in the household? The husband. The husband. It's not the wife's responsibility to make sure the kids know what's going on. It's the husband's. And in our relation, and it's in our culture today, I just want to be honest with you. We fail. We're stanking it up pretty bad. As men, we need to be the ones who are in the word and then telling our wives and our children. And when our wives and our children don't seem to know what's going on, whose issue is that? God's? It's ours. One day we're going to be, I think we're going to be told about the, uh, our ownership of that and our responsibility of that. We need to be the ones in the word, not just for our families, but it should translate from there to work. Our workplaces, our churches, our communities. Godly men should be the ones who are leading in those areas. Here's the other thing that I think is interesting. Lastly, Adam eats even though he knew what was going to happen. God told him, if you eat from that, you're going to die, right? But he ate from it anyway. Why do you think that it was? Do you ever look at those decisions and go, I don't really understand that at all. None of the rest of you do? Okay, I'm glad y'all got that figured out. I look at it and I think, I don't understand. Have you ever walked a mile in the shoes? No, I haven't. I'm not really sure how all that worked. But the problem was, Adam knew what was right and still chose to do wrong. Eve was deceived. Adam overtly sinned and didn't follow the command of God. He chose his wife. He chose death over the word of God. Where is that going to lead us, man, if we, if we do that? Not any place we want to be. Notice the results of sin that's going to happen here. And I'm going to say this one more time because we've said it here at church. I think it's a nice little saying. Adam chose to offer up peace on the altar instead of truth. Oftentimes we want peace. We just want things to be calm. We can just be quiet a little bit. Praise God, right? No. We need to make sure truth is of the utmost and held up within our homes, within our individual lives. We need to be people that stand up for truth versus compromise and capitulate to have peace. Because guess what? You can never have peace if you don't stand for the truth. Eventually, they're going to push you over. Notice the results of sin. As soon as sin show, God shows up, what happens? For those of you who have kids, what is it? I, right? It's all about... No. Eventually, what happens? They just continually have the blame game. Adam immediately should have done what? Took the blame. Took the blame. I, hey, I did that. I was wrong. Instead, what does he say? Essentially, he didn't just blame Eve. He blamed God, right? He said, hey, that woman that you gave me, right? Oh, hmm. I'm not really correlating those together, but you know something, God? If she wanted to come along, I'd have been all right, right? 
No. He immediately, immediately blames God. Here's the problem. Repentance is always the problem. It's always the issue. Will you repent? Will you humble yourselves before a mighty God, before your wife, before whomever, and say that you're wrong? If not, we're going to get over here and we'll talk about isolation here a little bit more, but we're still talking about blame and guilt and repentance. Eve does what? She follows the example of her husband. If he's going to shift the blame, she's going to do what? Right there behind him doing the same thing. Blaming it on somebody else. God then does what? What happens when sin comes out? Eventually, judgment comes. If God judged us as quickly as he did them, where would we be at tonight? Oftentimes when we read in the Old Testament, I'm, I'm real careful because it's easy to say, Man, that's a bunch of crazy people, didn't listen to anything. Where would I be at? Right there with them. Actually, probably a little worse. Sewing fig leaves. Yes. Thank you, John. <laughs> I'd have had my sewing kit out. I'd have had to sew a couple more. Okay. So, Eve follows that. God issues judgment, starting with the root, Satan, all the way to Adam. The physical snake is cursed, and then Satan learns his fate. Jesus is going to come and crush Satan under his feet. Hallelujah. Hope comes back into the picture. I always think it's interesting. This happens, and as a father, as, could, can you just see being angry right there? Instead, God does what? He offers grace. He offers us hope. What a great God that we serve, I tell you. Eve then is told what? Childbirth is going to be painful. And I put down this. This is just my little thing. The curse of sin is being passed from one generation to the next. That's a painful thing even physically. And that instead of peace in the home, there's going to be strife between who is in control in the marriage relationship. The woman sinned because she acted independently of her husband, disdaining his leadership, his counsel, and his protection. The man sinned because he abandoned his leadership and followed the wishes of his wife. In both cases, God's intended roles were reversed. Does that seem familiar today? Adam then learns that the work he was designed for would now be much more difficult by the ground being cursed. And I've actually put a little note in here, poison oak, stuff like that. I don't think it was in the garden, right? Man, but now we have all sorts of things that are, uh, keep us away from that being that fruitful that God designed us to be. That ultimately, you know what? He was still responsible to till and harvest until he returned to the ground from which he was made. God then does what? He shows mercy and grace by offering up an animal and shedding blood to cover their sin in their current state of nakedness. God then extends more compassion as he puts them away from the tree of life so they would not stay in this sinful state forever. Results of sin, shame, guilt, fear, blame shifting, battle from control, battle for control. The fallout from the fall, fallout from the fall. That's interesting I put that. Pain. Pain in work, pain in childbirth, pain in marriage relationships. Instead of uh, completing each other, Adam and Eve now begun to compete with each other. Uh, Praise be that he did not leave us without a plan to combat these spiritual battles. So let's real quick, Locke, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at a couple verses there. Yeah, okay, I should be done. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul closes this letter to the Ephesians after describing the true believer in chapters 1 through 3, who's living a spirit-controlled life in chapters 4 and 5. And now uh, we're being warned that we're in the midst of a spiritual warfare and give us instructions on how to win it. Paul lets us know the basic truths regarding our necessary spiritual preparation as well as truths regarding his enemy, his battle, and his victory. Ultimately, Satan's power has already been broken. We're at, at the cross, right? Through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. However, every day we're going to deal with what? Temptation. And we need the Lord's power. We can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit and the force of biblical truth required for victory. Notice that our strength and power is not in ourselves. It's in the Lord. How often are we looking to the Lord for our strength and power? How often are we looking to other people, ourselves? We need to make sure that we cannot do it on our own. We need God. Paul's going to tell us, and I'm not going to go all the way through all of the uh, whole armor of God. Guess what? That should be a daily practice, not the Sunday outfit we wear. Oftentimes, when do we go look for this? When we're in the midst of trouble. We need to prepare for that. You ever heard of being proactive versus being reactive? Proactive says, I'm going to do this first in case whatever comes on. Reactive is, oh no, I should have already done this and I've not done it. Let's not live our lives in that manner, okay? Okay, sorry, I got lost in here. Satan is a one-trick pony. He used the same tools as in the garden. Wiles is another word for scheme, which is carrying the idea of being clever, crafty, cunning, deceived. We can see this in the verses here. And uh, Satan always opposes and perverts God's word. He hinders God's servants. He obscures the gospel. He snares the righteous and holds the world in his power. This is not a, a physical enemy you can wrestle with, even though there's times I think it'd be nice. But you can't because we can't defeat him. It's a spiritual battle we face that we will lose if we do not stand in his power and in his truth. There is an enemy, and it's not your spouse. The solution to the fall is the gospel. Sin is separated from God, and there's no way we can earn his approval through good works, through church membership, or being good people. The only way is through the gospel. We need this especially in our marriages. We seek to emulate the relationship between Christ and the church. Forgiveness and redemption should be a regular part of our marriage. I'm going to skip over here to Ephesians 2 real quick, like Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and then I will be done. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's grace is preeminent in every aspect of salvation. What a blessed gift that God's given us. The good works noted here do not produce salvation, but are subsequent. They're a result because this is what's happened. God has empowered fruits and evidences of it in the last uh, in your life. The last verse is one of my favorite verses I've memorized a long time ago. You know what? We're his workmanship. He created us special, and he's designed us for something. He designed us for what? Good works. That's why if you ever wonder, what's the purpose of my life? Good works. That's what God has designed for you to do. And notice when he designed them. Before time even began. He didn't just say, hold on, what's going to happen tomorrow? Uh, let me get this lined up, right? That's how we do with our calendar. We're like, what are we going to do? No, God designed them before time began. Our marriage should reflect the grace that God has shown us as we live out the precious gift that he so graciously provided us through salvation and through our marriage. 
Marriage exists for us to display the gospel of Christ. And when marriage breaks down, the gospel is there to forgive and heal and sustain until he comes or until he calls. That's John Piper. Isolation always comes spiritually and emotionally before physically. We typically tend to hide ourselves away from God, and then we start hiding ourselves away from other people. And then we hide ourselves away physically. We go and try to hide from God. Just as Adam and Eve did, we continue doing that today. Having a strong relationship with God through His Word, prayer, and His church will keep us from isolating ourselves and suffering just as Adam and Eve did. Here's the couple final thoughts. Hang in there. Form relationships with the small groups that you have, people around you that can encourage you. And when you disappear and go and try to hide, they call you and go, where are you at? What are you doing? We should be intimate enough with someone where they can come to you and say, what's going on with you? They can recognize it enough in your life to know, hey, you ain't acting right. Do we have those people in your life? Or do you have people say, oh, you're going great, old buddy. That's not what we need. We need somebody to come along beside us and help when we get somewhere where we shouldn't be. Do you have those relationships in your life? If you don't, here's my suggestion. Find one. Just start with one. You ain't got to have 50. Just one. You ain't never going to get 50 anyway. Just want to be honest with you. None of y'all that popular, right? It ain't going to happen. We just need one. Last thought, and I'll finish. James 4, 6 through 8. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Are you isolating yourself away from your spouse? Are you isolating yourself away from the church? Are you isolating yourself away from your friends, from whoever? If you are, now is the chance where you can do something about it. We're going to have a chance to talk through all this that we've learned a little bit tonight. And we have to really, at the end of the day, the only person that can really answer that question is you. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to be teachable and say, you know what? That's me. I need to do something about it. Let's pray about it, and then we'll talk about it here in a second. Father, we just want to thank you so much, God, for not leaving us in isolation as we saw in the garden. God, you could have left us there. God, you could have let Adam and Eve eat of that tree and be like that forever. But God, you're full of grace. You're full of mercy. You're full of tender compassion for us. <coughs> and God, I'm just so thankful that you don't leave us in the state we're in. I want to pray for the marriages that are here tonight. God, if somebody has been isolating themselves from the truth, from you, from someone else, God, I pray tonight they would confront the question of what's causing them to behave like that. And I pray, God, we would be mature. God, we'd be people who are spiritually mature <coughs> and can answer that question and then repent and draw close to you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.